Everyone, welcome to the Youth Stuff channel and welcome to the Youth Stuff podcast. I am here with Daniel Ho, who is an ukulele virtuoso, slack key guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, singer-songwriter, producer, audio engineer, videographer, video editor, and record company owner. He's a six-time Grammy Award winner, 12-time Grammy Award nominee, six-time Taiwanese Golden Melody Award winner, and recipient of multiple Hawaiian music awards. So I'm gonna bring Daniel up with us. Um, and at the same time, Daniel, we've he's this is a second podcast he's on with me. So I, I thank you for your time. But we forgot to ask in the last one, you have one of your Grammy Awards there, just to show anybody that would like to see the Grammy Award with the person that won it. What does that look like? Oh, okay. Oh. Here it is. This is a Grammy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of heavy, actually. <laughs> now, do you go to the ceremony and receive that, or do they just ship it to you? Um, you go to the ceremony, and you don't know, uh, you know, the result. So uh, they ship it to you three months later when they when you find out, you know, like. But it's exciting. It's really a neat thing. That's very cool. And do you also have like separate awards for the other ones from Taiwan and Hawaii as well? Uh, uh, the awards from Hawaii uh, are plaques, like a little disc, and another one is a, a trophy. And the Golden Melody Awards are um, kind of tall golden trophies. And the award goes to, here's the Golden Melody Award. Very nice. So yeah, I um, work with this company, uh, Wind Music in Taiwan, and they're just a wonderful group of people. And um, we did collaborations with Taiwanese Aboriginal artists. And Taiwanese Aboriginals are actually, you know, 5,000 years ago, um, they traced the connection with Hawaii through the Austronesian people's language. So through linguistics, they. Um, traced their migration through the islands as far as Easter Island. They went through Hawaii, and um, the word for hand is lima, and, and um, five in Hawaiian is elima. And on the trash cans in Hawaii, we have uh, mahalo, which means thank you, and in the Taiwanese Aboriginal, it's masalu. So it's it's kind of neat. Um, their music is not doesn't sound like Hawaiian music at all. It's more um, pentatonic. There's no instruments, um, melodic. And so it was really neat to, I didn't know there were Taiwanese aboriginals, you know, 12 years ago. <laughs> I was also the understanding that we don't really know what a lot of the traditional actual Hawaiian music sounds like before colonization, because there was such a strong effort to bring in, for example, music of the church and traditional harmony and everything else that, that much of that that tradition had been lost of what would be traditional songs too. So maybe maybe it's much closer than we know. Actually, you're 100% right about that, I believe. Uh, we just recently did an album called Live at the Getty Center uh, with Halau Hula Keli Ionalani. And half of that show, or actually two thirds of that show is traditional Hawaiian music, kahiko. And their chants and no instruments, just played with an ipuheke, the um, percussion, a gourd, and um, kalaau, and different, you know, Hawaiian percussion instruments, and they dance and they chant, and it it doesn't sound like, you know, it doesn't sound like that at all. So you're absolutely right. Yes, that's more similar to, you know, um, Aboriginal music, but actually kind of different. Um, uh, the Taiwanese Aboriginals sound, um, they're kind of like long songs. I don't know how to describe it actually. Um, but we did, our first album together was in 2011 or 2012 called On a Gentle Island Breeze. And I played ukulele and slap key guitar and piano to traditional uh, Aboriginal songs. And it was nominated in world music uh, way back when. And this year, I um, I just scored a documentary called Ocean Diary, and it's about uh, uh, 
uh, Taiwanese children and their relationship with the ocean. And that's going to come out in uh, October of this year, and it will be an album also. And uh, there's Aboriginal artists like Xiaojun and Anu, and, and um, it's, it's a big part of the culture there. And I learned so much about world music and how sound is connected to emotion. You know, it's not scales and melodies and that. They, they can make you cry, just touch your heart with just their voices. And no understanding at all of our Western terms and, you know, <laughs> whatever it is we do here. I mean, and we both know people, um, you know, that that play music fluently without an ounce of musical official training. You know, they've never stepped foot in a music school. Um, yet their understanding of of music surpasses ours yes. you know i mean you, you run into those people so it's, it's not picking on people that don't have a traditional music education but as we talked about in our last podcast you can certainly tell when somebody has had it mm -hmm. you know there, there's a touch of logic behind it that may not always exist but that that isn't said to insult anyone that doesn't have it it's just a different understanding you're absolutely right about that and i i want to follow up on that point because I definitely would never want to insult people who, you know, haven't studied music formally because it's, it's but, but to honor them really, because the big turning point for me in my life was I was going down that path of Western music and I studied the harmony and learning how to play and trying to gain more technique or, you know, have a better understanding of harmony, whatever. And then, I was invited by Wind Music to do this project with the Taiwu Ancient Ballads Troupe. It's a children's choir uh, in the southwestern south part of tai Taiwan. Um, it's a Paiwan tribe. And we went to their elementary school. And as we were walking up to the classroom, they were singing. And there's a documentary on YouTube, a short documentary about it. But uh, we hear them singing in the classroom. And they have no understanding of Western choral music or anything like that. You just start to cry. You just get chicken skin and you hear their voices and it is overwhelming and so rich with emotion. Like I got chicken skin right now talking about the Taibu ancient ballads troupe and they were 11 years old, 17, 16 years old. And oh my gosh, it was then that I realized the direct connection of sound and emotion, like they did it. And that through all my studies is what I was striving to achieve. And they did it, you know, as kids. And I, I don't think I've ever been able to attain, you know, that deep or rich a connection. So on, on, on that note, you know, it, it's, it's amazing what, what they do with their son. They're telling stories, you know, historical stories, love songs, and <laughs> everything, and um, amazing experience, and eye-opening. By the way, I think, I, I thought it's funny that you say chicken skin, because we say, I think we say goosebumps here. Yes. <laughs> we get goosebumps. So I don't know, I, I just, I love that terminology. Um, this is perfect translation to what we're talking about. This one is about teaching. So how much of your time is spent teaching? Do you offer any lessons? or video conferencing sort of lessons, or is it mainly what you do in workshops these days? Well, uh, I have a number of books that I have at downyourhole.com, uh, books and audio uh, on ukulele, uh, on music theory, I have uh, colorful sounds, which is uh, the way that I use harmony, uh, piano, book, uh, and. Uh, guitar, beginning guitar, slack key guitar, things like that. Um, I teach mainly at uh, ukulele workshops, things like that. Sometimes I do lectures on, you know, music business and being an indie artist or Asian American month or something at like at Stanford or different uh, colleges. Uh, in November, I'm going to be a uh, Regents lecturer at UCLA in their ethnomusicology program for two weeks. I'll be, you know, doing classes about actually working 
in world music as an artist and what it's like. Um, uh, so that'll be interesting to do. Uh, I'm sure I'm gonna learn a lot in the process, but I don't teach private lessons. And um, I, oh, actually I have an ukulele program with Yamaha and that is, the website is musicians.online. So just musicians period online. And um, Yamaha did an online series with I think five artists. Um, Bob James did piano. Uh, Lee Rittenauer did guitar. Billy Sheehan did the bass program. Akira Jimbo did drums and I did ukulele. And uh, that actually is I tried to teach, we filmed it in six days, but I tried to teach basically everything that I know about music through the ukulele. So, you know, the colorful sounds method, I took the note C, the melody note C and harmonized it with 52 different chords as an example of all the different colors and subtleties that you can uh, give a melodic note through harmony. Um, I covered the polyrhythm of Napana Ilua, which in Hawaiian means the two heartbeats, and demonstrated 10 and a half over seven, uh, taught pineapple mango, and many different things you can do with the ukulele, uh, like percussion, and Mozambique, Steve Gadd's Mozambique, like. different things like that. And um, so anyway, the program is an ukulele program and I taught music through, you, you know, using the ukulele and stuff like that. But I'm still in my creating and learning stages of my life and career right now. And I can't wait to get to the teaching part. But what I did was I, I'm wearing this shirt here, which is the music tree and I figured out a way to divide all the elements of music into its three main branches. I can't do this by looking at that, but melody, harmony, and rhythm. And then I divided each branch, melody, harmony, and rhythm into technical and creative. So for example, melody technical would be Take for example, the C scale. So C, D, E, F, G, you know. And then uh, Ionian mode, Dorian mode, Phrygian mode, Lydian mode. And then you have the minor scales, melodic minor, harmonic minor, natural minor. You have the diminished scale, augmented scale, whole tone scale. Those would be melodic technical. Melodic creative would be the theme and development like a theme, I should do an ukulele because this is an ukulele program. So, C, D, E, a diatonic transposition would be D, E, F, or A, B, C. Inversion would be da, 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 of this original theme. And then augmentation and diminution and all the techniques you use to develop notes from the scale or mode uh, into a piece of music. And then harmony technical would be an interval, like say like a, a, a whole step, half step, a unison, a third, you know, minor third, major third, all that fourth. Um, and then a triad, and then a four part chord, you know, the different triads would be major, minor, augmented, uh, diminished, and so on. And then Rhythmic technical would be whole note, half note, and all of those. And then rhythmic creative would be like, well, in this case, you know, polyrhythms or Napana Elua and how far you can go uh, with rhythm and using, you know, cultures like African and uh, Indian and Latin. And, you know, certain cultures emphasize rhythms and others don't. So um, in the music tree, like I always, Joke, not joke as in haha, but this music tree would be if I were to have a music school, it would be the first thing you see when you walk in the door. 
And every book would have the tree and then they would highlight what part of music you're actually learning, major scale, and how much more there is to know. And at the top of the tree is called um, spontaneous composition. And it is improvisation, but more than improvisation and playing licks like or stuff like that, you're actually composing using you know, these techniques like diatonic transposition and harmonizing and doing all this kind of stuff spontaneously. Like that's when you've really mastered music. You can, and you know, I guess with Keith Jarrett would be an example of spontaneous composition. He's not just playing whatever, he's taking themes and developing and reharmonizing it, putting rhythms around it and, and things like that. So um, that is kind of, my understanding at this point of music, you know, taking a step back and because a lot of people, well, you know, I, I've talked to people that have said, oh, I can play anything. That's not possible <laughs> any for anyone, right? Because you, there's so many different ways of playing music and so many different instruments and styles and melodies and rhythms and scales. <laughs> you couldn't know, nobody could possibly know all of that, you know? Now, do you sell that print anywhere? Do you, I mean, do you, yeah. do you sell the t-shirt or sell the print? At danielho.com. Okay. Yeah. And is it available not only as a t-shirt, but as like something like as a poster or something? Uh, no, it isn't uh, yet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but just as a t-shirt, I don't know, as, as an instructor, have you thought about music as a whole? Like, you know, we study pieces and parts of it in various genres classical jazz world whatever but as a whole like as a broad overview like each element specifically you know putting it all together like i i struggled with that you know for i hear what you're saying as a music educator what i do most of the time is i end up especially at this right now i'm teaching k through five so kindergarten through fifth grade and most of my job is spent trying to take music and breaking it down to to either the student's level or into pieces that build so it's like taking a complete lego set and saying okay i i can't deal with this whole big lego set i need to take it apart and you guys need to deal with the wheels and you guys are building the base with the wheels in first grade i'm i'm rebuilding so mm -hmm. i dismantle all the time to rebuild I almost never have that sort of like looking at the forest instead of the tree. Um, if you're asked to present at a at a music like an ukulele festival, and you're said they they say, hey, we want you to teach a couple sessions. How do you choose what you're going to teach, or do you have a preset list of what you offer and say, I can talk about this for a half hour or this for an hour? How do you approach that? Uh, first, I ask the. Um you know, the general level of the attendees. So sometimes in festivals, you know, they, they're um, intermediate to, you know, they've been playing for a few years. Uh, sometimes it's just all, you know, plastic ukuleles and they're being introduced to it to the first time. So I have um, uh, songs that are just two chords that you can play with two fingers and play and sing and learn a little bit about Hawaiian language as in as an introduction to the ukulele. And then I have like, well, I do something on pineapple mango where I do six different techniques you can do with three chords. Like the Mozambique percussion I showed you or harmonics or, um, you know, playing marimba or, you know, emulating a bass and things like that. Um, a lot of times I'm teaching uh, music and a little bit about you know, uh, the Hawaiian language, like Aloha Pumihana, I'll do a song. Um, sometimes I'll do technique, like how to produce a beautiful tone, you know, fingerstyle on the instrument. Sometimes it's about the instrument. They want to know what kinds of wood sound like this or what kind of strings or high G, low G or, you know, ebony neck or, you know, like all the different, the technical parts of the ukulele, which I've learned from Pepe over, over the years. So. Um, it really varies that I usually just ask what the uh, director, producer, or uh, presenter would like, would think would best fit. So if you have a new 
ukulele player, what are three tips that you would give a new ukulele player? First of all, you know, it's an unpretentious instrument, so have fun with it. The neat way to start making music is just to strum and sing. And if you're having a great time, that's perfect. It's serving its purpose. Uh, if, uh, if it's a musician and they're, you know, like a guitar player or a pianist and they want to get more into it, um, to get an instrument that's capable of doing it. Uh, and then it will inspire you. So, you know, don't get a $20 ukulele that's completely out of tune that will never stay in tune with friction tuners or whatever, but get a solid wood instrument that has a beautiful tone that doesn't buzz and is in tune all the way up the fretboard, then you can use the whole thing. And I think that's what Pepe Romero let me know. Like this instrument is as capable as any instrument ever made it just needs to be built to these standards and you can play classical repertoire and do an album with Pepe Romero and be in tune and have a beautiful tone as, as beautiful as this guitar because he built the guitar and he built the ukulele, you know? So it's it's capable of doing all of that. Because um, a lot of times I think, well, not so much now, but probably earlier on, it's just kind of like, ah, that's just a toy or whatever, you know? And it can be, and it's, perfectly suited to that role as well so yeah just and but i i think you know one thing is like get a decent instrument because if you get a toy it sounds like a toy no matter what you do on it it'll always sound like a toy and it won't inspire you to take it out of the case right you come home from work or you wake up in the morning and oh, i can't wait to hear that instrument oh my gosh and you play the chord like oh that's so beautiful i want to hear that and and feel that that um, beauty, yeah. If you I don't want to step on you, but with all sincerity, I also caution people not to buy one that you're going to leave in the case because you're afraid to take it out. Because mm -hmm. some people, you know, they they go too big, too nice, and mm -hmm. then they're afraid to play it. So, oh. you know what I mean. So there there's something to be said for those. Like for example, you know, since you're here with Romero Creations, you guys have a number of models that aren't like the super duper duper expensive instruments that are still going to give you a good playing experience. You know, down the road, you can buy that solid mango full out, you know, spalted maple tiny tenor in yeah. the future. But I think you guys have laminate versions as well, right? Um, yeah, well, this new model with Kiwaya will be that, you know, a really... Okay good intonation, laminate model, great sound, very resonant. Um, and the other thing too is by value, don't do it yeah. by price because yeah. you can get a Brazilian rosewood, you know, spruce top, French polished, Spanish heel instrument, pay $5,000 for it. And if it's out of tune, it's kind of useless because you're always going to sound bad. You know, if it doesn't have beautiful intonation up the neck, um, you, I guess it takes a little bit to understand the qualities that a good instrument have. You could spend a hundred dollars and have the most amazing instrument, you know, perfectly in tune and beautiful chords, beautiful sound. So it isn't price actually. It's, it's um, knowing what to look for and finding those gems. It's all hand, you know, for handmade instruments, they're, you know, all different, right? Yeah. So the first one was have fun. The second one was have a, a instrument that inspires you. What would be a third tip for a beginning player? Uh, well, you know, for sure, use a strap. So traditionally, ukuleles did not use a strap. And I taught workshops in Japan where they said, oh, you know, you can't use a strap because traditionally I've been told, you know, ukuleles don't have straps. Well, I believe that I, I respect traditions, but things evolve. A guitar became an electric guitar, Les Paul, an electric bass, and you know, like people find ways of evolving an instrument. And I believe 100% of your hand's efforts should be dedicated to producing pitches on the instrument, not grabbing it with your forearm or letting it sit in your hand where you can't reach the notes because you're holding it up in this part of your hand 
eventually, you know, you're going to get pains and aches from clenching and pulling muscles together that you don't even need to use. So our entry-level uh, soprano with Kiwaya comes with a strap pin because I really believe that's, you just let it sit on your body like this. And, <laughs> and then, you know, the ukulele doesn't sit in my hand when I play. It's, it's like this. So I don't, I, don't, I don't hold it up, you know, and I don't grab it with my forearm on this side either. And that's what we did as kids in Hawaii because we didn't have straps. But um, in a classical guitar, it sits on your leg. You know, it goes in the waist and it's braced when you're on a footstool and you hold a certain weight. So you, your hands don't clench the instrument. So that's, that's important, I think. Hey, with your, with your ukulele, do you have a strap pin on the bottom of yours? Um, yes, I have a pickup. Okay. Oh yeah. What kind of pickup do you use, by the way, if anybody wants to know? I use a my side pickup and it has no volume and no tone controls. It's just a pickup and I love this pickup because it has a rechargeable lithium ion battery. So I plug it in to an outlet, the adapter for one minute and it lasts for like seven hours. I've been using it for probably, I don't know, 15 years now, 10, well over 10 years. And it works great. The reason why I don't do volume and tone is um, two reasons. I use a preamp to shape my sound, a Bose T4S, um, which is a, the best little preamp. Because I, I, I need three bands of parametric EQ to shape sound. And you know, the, has all the stuff, the reverb, whatever things. But I really pay attention to the sound. Um, and I need the output to be identical every single time I plug it in. And if you have volume and tone here, um, the knobs could be you know, dark, bright, loud, soft, and you don't know what it's doing. The second reason is there's wires that will go mm -hmm. to it. They touch the face, touch the back of the ukulele, and they buzz. Mm -hmm. and the more wires you have, you know, the more chance of buzz. That's kind of unacceptable. The other thing is that they glue it on or use double stick tape so it will fall off. If you have a battery compartment that's double stick taped, it'll fall off. Eventually, it'll be sitting somewhere and you're a bump. <laughs> and then, oh, I mean, it's happened to every single battery, nine volt or whatever thing that gets glued in anything anyway. <laughs> so this doesn't have that. I don't have to loosen my strings to change a watch battery. I don't have any of that stuff. It's just plug it in and then play it and the element I think is LR bag, so the tone is identical. I also don't like high pass filters on my ukuleles. Sometimes those high pass filters are set for high G. Mm. So they're cutting off at 200 Hertz already and there goes my low G. Yep. And you lose a lot of depth and control. If I wanna cut it, I'll cut it myself at the frequency that I would work for my instrument. So um, this, this element has no, this pickup has no high pass. It's the full range. So, How does it connect to the, the headstock? Do you have, is it just a, a cord oh, that attached? Tie, tie. Okay. Yeah, and I, I learned about this way to tie it. Uh, I, I don't think you can see it here, but from Yamaha. So the, the luthier there who worked, does Romero Creations, tied the string a certain way. So yeah, that's really cool. I you know, I, there's there's a video you could make on Instagram. Yeah. And I mean, I learned, I mean, I've tied it so many different ways, but this is really cool because it just kind of loops in and hooks over. It's hard to see, but it's really clean. And then the thing this doesn't get in the way of your finger and stuff like that, the, the string. So the I asked you what were three bits of advice you'd give a beginning player? What are three bits of advice you'd give to an advancing ukulele player? Oh, that's easy. And I think it's summing up in one. Well, learn about music. Because ukulele is only an instrument. I like, well, that's, that's very quick. That's easy. <laughs> it's only an instrument. It's just, you mean, you play it like a guitar, you play it like a piano, you play it like, it's just an instrument. The more you know about music, the more you can do with it. And it's not even about playing fast. It's about understanding why you would play a chord like like this you know 
why and how would you ever do something like that in A minor triad over a B flat? <clears throat> well, going back to colorful sounds, if you play a B flat and you play an A minor triad, you have the major seventh, the ninth, and the raised eleventh. You only have four strings. So this is a B flat chord. That's this. But there's a lot of, I mean, it's only four notes, but if you know how to use and choose those notes very carefully, there's a lot of subtleties you have access to rather than just a B-flat chord, because that's a B-flat chord, actually. Yep. Um, so learn about music, learn about counterpoint, learn about it, and it will continue, infinitely inspire you, because there's so many ways and directions you can go melodically, harmonically, and rhythmically. And I want to ask you some questions about ukulele in schools, which is the name of your book. I guess the question is, who came up with the idea to create the method combined with that? How did you meet Steve Sano, who is the, the co-author of the method? Did it tie into your experience learning ukulele in Hawaii? Did you have classes or learn it at school in Hawaii? That sort of combination of questions together. Uh, Steve Sano and I met in the late 90s, 1998, and the first book we wrote together was my slack key book, uh, The G Kilauea Tuning. Um, it was originally on Alfred, and now I just have it self-published at um, danielhole.com. Uh, he's a slack key guitar player. He's the, um, the former chair. He was chair of the music department for 10 years, and he's a choral director and conductor. And um, he doesn't have the experience in um, elementary school education, but he's really, an inspirational person as an instructor. I learned so much from him. I've done his recordings of Duraflay and you know Haydn with this chorale and all that stuff and, and the St. Lawrence String Quartet. And I learned so much from him. Um, he was on sabbatical for a year. And I said, Steve, you know, because he loves ukulele, he plays ukulele too. And I said, can we do something about sharing the joy of making music? And of course, the ukulele, as an instrument that's being introduced in classrooms in you know second, third grade, is a great way to to make that introduction. So we wrote this book, and we thought of a logical way to take repertoire that children are already singing in the classroom, using that as the starting point, coming up with simple ways to just strum a whole note and sing the song that they already know and going through that repertoire and then in book that's book one and book two to um, play individual notes of the same of the same repertoire that um, you know this another the more advanced class can play instrumentally along with the the beginning class and the way they can sing and strum and then my percussionist randy drake um, who I've been playing with for 28 years now, recording and performing with, is a PhD in ethnomusicology. And he wrote the Bango Lele Shaker Lele program, which precedes the ukulele program. So kindergarten, first grade, they learn about rhythm and just singing and playing simple rhythms on a bongo lele or a shaker lele. And so my goal with ukulele at school is to take different levels of students and bring them together so they can perform at the end of the year, you know, and, and um, they all know, use the same repertoire, songs they already know, uh, hopefully inspire them to love music and play guitar, play trombone, and piano. And just, just to summarize what, what you're saying, if, if anybody that, that's like a music educator, book one of ukulele at school teaches you songs and teaches students how to strum chords to those songs. Book two introduces um, how to play the melody on, on your instrument so you can play along with book one. So as you learn song one or song number one in book two, it's the same song as book one. And then you said also that there's a shaker lele and a bongo lele that aligns with those songs as well that actually precedes book one. Yes, it's ukulele at school. And okay. Ohana Ukuleles sells the bangalele, shaker lele, and that percussion program, the book. 
So it's actually their book, but it's the same artwork and same, we're all friends. So we all work together and cause their goal is the same way too, you know, to inspire people to, to love the instrument and make music together. Do you have any idea how many schools are using it or have used it? Not specifically, but San Ysidro, Torrance, Montebello, um, Arcadia. Uh, I, I'm not really sure, but you know, I don't know specifically, but yeah, those are some that I've done workshops with. I've gone and uh, instructed the teachers on how to use it because a lot of them are, they don't play ukulele, they're band directors or just elementary school teachers. And they have an afternoon program, like in San Ysidro, it was an after school program and they bought 400 ukuleles and they, you know, there's a 30% um, of the population is homeless. So they want to keep the kids out of trouble. So they want them to stay in the afternoon program and say, oh, ukulele, that's a great way to do it. And, um, Toyota helped sponsor that program. And I went down there and I taught the teachers. Very cool. Uh, and this is how you tune it. You know, you just clip this thing <laughs> on and you do that. And and here's a C chord and, you know, and, and they got it going. And do you, how do you address left-handed players? Or do you, do you just tell everybody, I'm curious, like in the book mindset, personally, I let left-handers choose what they want to do. And we have a couple ukuleles backwards strung, but how would you coach music teachers and other answers are okay, by the way, just I'm open to all sorts of thoughts. Wow, I I don't know. Does Paul McCartney just play his instruments upside down and has them strung the regular way, yeah? I don't know, I'd have, to, I'd have to look. I think I watched his documentary and I totally could be wrong, but I think he plays it in regular tuning as opposed to strung right-handed. I'm not sure, but I, I think, it's, um, you know, priorities, like, oh, maybe they want to just look like everyone else and play it the way everyone else is doing. Because left-handed players, you know, all the difficult stuff is here. Yeah. <laughs> I would, that, that would be an advantage to me. Right. So I would probably encourage that, but it's up to the individual. I'm in the same mindset. Um, do you know, does Romero Creations have an ukulele that's well, like, could be used in a school setting that's like like an affordable low-cost model is there is there like a school version or is it higher than that we used to have an stl uh, which is a tiny tenor um, concert scale and the reason for that is the concert scale is the most popular scale all around the world actually because it's big enough to play finger style um, you know, it has a great sound and it's um, not as long or as big. It's just kind of a compromise between a tenor and a soprano. The STL is a laminate version um, that was made in China and that was pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic hit and the production of instruments went away and, um, you know, it never came back to the way it was still a big <laughs> confusing mess. So that is no longer, but um, the other thing too is Pepe is so, you know, Romero Creations uses the Romero name and he's so into quality. Um, we were, are going to release now a soprano model, which is basically a traditional shape soprano uh, that's made in Japan, uh, manufactured, made in Japan uh, with Kiwaya which is a 103, 104-year-old ukulele company. And they're the biggest, by far, ukulele company in Japan. And strung with a high G in a traditional ukulele, but with our appointments, like string through the body and our sound hole style. And so it's a Romero Creations uh, Daniel Home uh, Kiwaya model. And uh, that's a more affordable instrument. Um, the intonation is like dead on, which, you know, is a big deal in music is the instrument that's in tune. <laughs> so the saddle is just compensated because sopranos, the shorter the scale, the more difficult it is to intonate, yeah? Um, so it's all like compensated to as close as you can get with, with intonation. And that's gonna be a great instrument. Um, and it'll probably be available um, later this year, at the end of this year. Um, I don't know what the pricing is for it yet, 
But Pepe doesn't do like entry level instruments anymore because it's so difficult to meet all those bars, those standards, and charge, you know, 50 bucks for it. Yeah, and there's there's so much competition and the yep. margin is so low. <laughs> it, there's some point where it, so I was just kind of curious if they had a thought. I mean, I would imagine with your relationships with Ohana, you'd probably say probably like an Ohana SK10 or Ohana CK10 probably being a, you know, would be a another fair, you know, correlation with, with the collaboration I know you do with Ohana too with some of the stuff. Yeah, I would say the Ohana SK10 specifically, like I purchased uh, hundreds of those <laughs> instruments for schools. Uh, when I do those programs, the Ohana SK-10, um, I try to get B stock if I can, because they're gonna get scratched anyway. Yes. You know, so I say, hey, you know, give me all your colorful, whatever, B stock, anything, you know, like whatever we can do to, to make it affordable for the schools. So just get the instrument in the hands and, and those sopranos, they sound good. Um, they QC every instrument at Ohana. So they're playable, real instruments. And then I just have them put an end pin in. And, you know, students can make their own straps with string, you know, whatever they want and make something colorful if they want. And, um, you know, that's kind of part of the, the program is to customize it that way. Now, so does the ukulele at school method, does it does it actually say play with a strap? I, I missed that part if it says that. Does it say that? I don't know for sure. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I was just wondering if you remember. Now, I'm going to ask you some real quick questions about ukulele at school. The first one is, I was looking at, at the instruction about strumming, and I think it said strum over the sound hole. And I just wanted to declare for, for my own understanding, because I've always thought and taught that you strum here where the neck meets the body but I think it was showing to strum over the sound hole and I was just curious if there was a reason why I just I just I didn't know so I thought I would ask um that's just a quick and dirty description specifically what happened you strum anywhere uh you want to there are two considerations uh when where as to where you strum this is how you decide is the size of your ukulele where your forearm, the fulcrum right here, oh, let's see, I'm trying to get this right. The fulcrum, yep. and then your arm swings, right? Mm -hmm. So wherever feels natural to you, you put your forearm here, that's where you strum. So the length of your forearm, the size of your ukulele. The second consideration is the warmest tone you can get on your instrument is the halfway point between your nut and your saddle which happens to be the 12th fret. So the warmest tone that you're gonna get is right here, the 12th fret. That sound. And as you move back, you're gonna add mid-range frequencies to your sound. Until it gets kind of honky. <laughs> like that, right? Right. But here, that's the warmest sound. So if you're playing jazz chords and you want and you want to do something like that, then strum where it's warm. If you want it to punch a little more, you can strum, pull it a little more back. So it just depends on the tone that you want and what, how big your ukulele is and how long your forearm is. Excellent. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, that's a great description of that. I love that. Um, now I'm going to ask a question about chord order in the book. And the main thing I want to ask about, I don't, and again, it's been years since the book was written. I think it was 2014 or something like that. So I mean, we're, I mean, yeah, we're almost 10 years away. Right. Oh my God. Um, and, and this isn't be specific. These are the things I just pay attention to as I teach students ukulele. I teach it to my fifth graders. Um, I use ukulele all day long as my accompaniment every day in my classes, but I teach it to my fifth graders. And um, the fourth chord introduced in ukulele at school is B flat. Mm -hmm. Seems really early to me, 
but was there a reason of throwing B flat in so early other than just the song choice? Thank you for asking. Um, it's early to introduce a B flat. It had to do with the repertoire. Okay. The song. Yeah. And that's, that's it. And, you know, the main keys that we play in on ukulele are C, F, and G. And that's just the four chord of F. And the four chord of any key is the second most used chord in the key. Um, that's my estimation. And in my experience with music, in Western music, the four chord is the second most used chord. So the one chord is strummed an awful lot because it's one, like C in the key of C. But the four chord, people oftentimes like imagine C, F, C, F, C, F, yep. right? And then the third most used chord would be the five chord, which often happens around bar seven or eight, which go back to one again, or bar four or three or something like that. Uh, so it's just something that needs to be learned. And it really, in level of difficulty, should be towards the end of book one. Uh, but the repertoire just called for that chord. And it's nice that you asked that question because one of the instruments that we are designing that I'm getting the prototype for next month actually is a, a brand new concept. And it makes playing the ukulele exponentially easier hmm. than it already is. I'm going to be fascinated to see what this is. You'll have to let me know. Yeah, for beginners, but yeah. also for, you know, the highest level professionals as well. And well, now I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was this idea that I came up with uh, based on my world music experiences with different instruments in different countries. And like, hey, why don't we do this with the ukulele? And um, so I talked to Pepe about it. And the most wonderful thing and the reason why I love working with him is he's open. As I mentioned, when we met, he was not open to do anything but a classical guitar or a traditional shape tenor or whatever. But he is so open to ideas. Um, and I explained this concept to him and he's like, you know, that sounds like it makes sense. And let's do it. It's original, you know, for starters, it's only going to come out as professional models. If you know, we can collaborate with Ohana or something to do like student models. It will make playing the ukulele so much easier, like so much easier for um, young people to just pick up and just start having fun with it. And and you wouldn't waste to see what this this is going to be. And you won't lose any function either. Yeah. In fact, I I play ukulele using this technique now. You know, and um, but anyway. Uh, um, let's talk <laughs> yeah, I, in a month, month and a half or so, or, or in a month. Yeah, this June already. The more I think about it, like I'm going to have to present the concept. It has a lot to do with colorful sounds yep. in, on, in its most basic level. Like you don't have to do anything of the complicated stuff in that theory thing, but just to understand the basic concept of it um, and its function in simpli its simplicity, you know. And, but um, it, it'll be fun. I can't wait. <laughs> Hey, I really appreciate you spending the time with me. I've got two very quick questions for you. One is with the ukulele at school method, do the students all play low G? Yes, um, low G is helpful, but you know, the whole first book is strumming. It doesn't matter if it's low G or high G. The second book, when you're playing melodies, you know, we put the songs in those keys so they can play it in first position, like Amazing Grace. You know, so it's easier to be able to play things down a fourth. Similar related question is you just played that little opening to Amazing Grace. When you're picking, do you float your pinky or do you rest your pinky on your soundboard? I float my pinky. Um, putting your finger on the soundboard is muting the resonance of the instrument. So when I'm recording, I don't even use a strap. The, the back soundboard doesn't touch my body. I sit in a classical position with a footrest and I touch only the corner and I touch only the corner and I let 
all the panels move. If I put my finger here, I'm muting. The most important one is this is the soundboard right below the sound hole to here, and I'm muting it. You know, um, when I play Amis Rondo, which is this. Embracing my pinky because um, I'm, I usually perform it standing up with a strap. And I'm not, when I recorded it, I was sitting in a classical position, leaned over the instrument with my right leg, left leg, and chest and forearm holding the instrument steady. Uh, so I didn't anchor my pinky, but it's not good to anchor because you're also restricting the movement of your fingers in addition to compromising the sound. So if you do anchor, anchor on the string, for example, like this. So if I'm anchoring on the string, my ring finger is here, and I'm playing with the other ones. But when it comes time to play it, it's ready to play the string. So um, anchor on the strings if you do have to anchor. It helps you get a, a more stable right hand and a bigger tone. Oftentimes, if you're planting, um, but if you need to, then put your pinky down, but try not to. Hey, I really appreciate you giving us the gift of your time today. Um, and for people that are listening to the podcast and watching it, we've actually just recorded for a couple hours straight. And that's so gracious of you. Um, I appreciate your playing. I appreciate um, the, the depth that goes into your composition, the depth of your creation. Um, the the brain work of going to your concert. I, I walked away as a music educator challenged from your concert, understanding it, right? Being with you, being able to, again, it's accessible, but there's a deeper level in what you do that I, I appreciate greatly. And for everything else you're doing with ukulele development and the stuff that you've done to help students at school, I just... Thank you for, for not only today, but for everything that you do. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It was a great pleasure talking story with you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this podcast. We'll be back soon with some more Yik stuff for you. All right. See you later.